Hey, good morning again. Uh, again, if you're just tuning in, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and we are in the middle of a series. We're going through the parables, and this parable we're doing today called the Good Samaritan is kind of one of the most famous ones. Um, that, that, that terminology, Good Samaritan, is actually probably one of the, the, the phrases or concepts from the Bible that has probably captured culture as a whole, where it's like Good Samaritan, like some people may not even know that that, that phrase comes from this particular Bible story. And so it's a very popular one, and um, every pastor, every pastor has a, a, a Good Samaritan story. We'll talk about the story. Essentially, it's, uh, I'll just give you a little preview to make little, these little stories make sense. You know, this guy gets beat up and um, is left on the side of the road, and these, these, essentially these equivalent of pastors walk past them, past them because they're, they're on their way to go do pastor things. And so every pastor has a story like this, and I've, I've, I've actually had a couple just even in the last couple of years, where on Sunday morning, like, I'm, 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 I'm driving to kind of uh, to, to church here to kind of put some final touches on the sermon or whatever, and I drive past somebody who is clearly in need of some sort of help, needs a ride or something like that, and every time I initially drive past them, and it takes me like... Three seconds to be like, that's why that Bible story is in there, dude. It, it, I, I, you, you just can't. You just can't. It does not matter uh, what, what you think about how your sermon is. It does not matter how urgent you feel like church is. And so uh, at least twice in the last year and a half, I've done UEs right in the middle of college and turned around and, and, come, and come back. And, and both times, like every time, like I expect the story to be like super like consequential and I usually tell it the very next day. So you've probably even heard a couple of these where it's like, you know, and, 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 I, pick, and I turned around and it, was, and it was sprinkling. This guy was walking. I turned around. I picked him up. And he's like, yeah, I, I need a ride to this convenience store. I'm meeting a guy there. And so, you know, I'm trying to engage him in conversation. Nothing's happening. Like, I'm just expecting something epic to happen. And we get to the gas station. I drop him off and nothing happens. And, and, and every one of those stories, for me, is kind of like that. I keep waiting for the one that's like it's going to take me on a national tour of speaking because of the awesome, really cool thing that happened. And honestly, little small things like that happen all the time, including just a couple of days ago where I am. I'm at our, at our offices, which are just down here, and I am working on this. And, and all of a sudden, I hear a, a, knock, a knock at the door, which which can only mean one thing. There's only, there's only one group of people that, that knock on the door at our offices, and it is people who are in need of some sort of financial assistance. And I wish, I just wish, I wish I could tell you right now that you have stumbled across a church and a pastor who, who, who when that happens, he's just, he's just overwhelmed with joy at the great opportunity that he has to help someone who's clearly in need. But that is not what I am. I can pretend that I am. I am, I am, I am, I am selfish with my time sometimes. And there was just this thing, just like, oh. And then just like, dude, you're preaching on this thing this Sunday. It's like in three days. And here you are. You can't take what's clearly only going to take like at max probably two minutes um, to rect- and, and so we go out there and she asks, you know, if we have any Walmart gift cards. And there's always a story and their stories are always, the stories are always very similar. And, you know, and, and all these different thoughts creeping in my mind. It's like, 
He's like, I don't have any gift cards, but I do have some money. So I went in my car and I got some money and I, and I, and I, and I gave her some money. And again, not particularly consequential. Um, no, no, epic, no epic plot twist. Just God taking these moments all throughout my week, all throughout my year, all throughout my life to reorient me to the things, and better, better, better said than things, the people that God cares about. And to reorient my priorities about what I think is important and what I think is valuable and the people and the hurting and the people who just need a little bit of love and encouragement, um, that, 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 that that's what God thinks is important. Because as... Again, seemingly inconsequential. I mean, it's like, when I say inconsequential, I guess I mean it's not like some really legendary story. Somebody knocked, I mean, because really when it comes right down to it, I could add some flair to it, which I tend to do with all stories just to make them interesting. It just reads like someone knocked at the door at the office, asked for some money, and I gave them money. It's really not a great story. Um, it was probably a great story for her. Um... And, and, and each time we do something like this, I mean, it, it matters to them. And it matters to God. And it matters to me in the sense that I just really feel like God is just continually reshaping my heart. And that is what God is trying to do with this story. And you can see it just in, in all aspects of this. And then again, this is a very popular story. And so preachers sometimes shy away from it. It's like we're like seven or eight weeks into the parables and we've just now decided to put this one in there because it, it's talked about so much sometimes you feel like you have to say something new but God just really struck me again like this is something that we need right now and so it's in uh, Luke chapter 10 starting in verse 25 on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life and so this happens a handful of times to Jesus, and you'll see it, it told different ways in different Gospels, because it would seem like this is a conversation that Jesus is having a lot. And so each story has a little bit of a different twist to it, not because it's, you know, they're telling the same story three or four different ways, because it seems to me like this is a conversation that Jesus is constantly ha having. And in this instance, it's, he's having it with someone who's trying to set him up. And so a teacher, an expert in the law, these are, is probably someone that comes from the group of the Pharisees, where this group of people that had this antagonistic relationship with Jesus, didn't like the way that he was t telling people about God, and had this hostile relationship. And it says in there, he's trying to test him. And test, in this sense, is not in a good sense. It's not in a, hey, I want to see if this guy's legit. Um, they had a very antagonistic relationship. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a very interesting question, because... That's a perspective that Jesus has been trying to break for quite some time, that there's something you do to get eternal life. How does Jesus handle it? Verse 26. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So he turns it back on him. Verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. These are known as the great commandments because, again, in, in Matthew, when, the, when, when these verses come up, there, somebody asks Jesus, what do you think are the greatest commands in all Scripture? And this is Jesus' answer. So, this is, you know, so now, in, in this way, Jesus turned on him, and he gets the same answer. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbors yourself. 
Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And that's a really challenging thing at this point because, you know, he says, what do I need to do? What are the things I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, all you have to do is love God with everything that you are and love other people the same way that you love yourself. And if that's what you have to do to gain eternal life, I think we can all agree that we are all in a lot of trouble because there is not any of us who can say we have done that. I mean, like we used to maybe on, a, on occasion from time to time, you have, I mean, you've done that for very brief periods of time. But to say that that's what you do, we're all in a lot of trouble. And I think this guy recognizes this. This is not just something you check off 10 boxes and then you do it. Um, and so, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so he's trying to narrow the scope here a little bit. Okay, well, I got to love my neighbor as well myself. Like, who, who exactly are we talking about here? Like, how, how many people? What people? Because if, you, if, if, we can, if we can narrow it, if we can narrow the field of who it is that I have to love, maybe I can be okay. And at this point, I feel like that Jesus could have given a, a, a much more um, brief, um, concise answer to this question. He could have looked at him and said, hey, uh, anybody you come in contact, nitwit. But, you know, Jesus is, um, has instead uses this as a teaching moment, not to just simply say everybody, but to highlight some of this guy's prejudices and, and issues that, that he has that ultimately I think are going to do the same for us. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, <coughs> excuse me, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So priests, Levites, again, these are, these, are, these, are, these are the equivalent of pastors. And so this, again, why this is such a convicting story for pastors, because the pastors, the, the, the priests in this story, I mean, I, mean, I guess they're not, they're not the number one villains. I guess the robbers who beat this dude up and leave him half dead, those are the, the main villains. But these guys are the villains in the story, because, again, this road, this, you know, the, this road to uh, Jericho and Jerusalem, and this, this was them. They were about to, to do, uh, do some of their priestly duties. And to touch um, someone who may or may not be dead would have made them unclean for a couple of weeks and would have made them unable to do their job and would have called them all sorts of hassle. And the easiest thing to do is to take a wide berth around him to make sure none of his uncleanness gets on them, which is what both of them do. 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, just for simplicity, we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth later. For simplicity, when you read Samaritan, basically this is a different ethnic group, a different religious group, where there was a lot of racial animosity between these two groups of people. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. So just, I mean, Jesus picked for the person he was talking to, the, the expert in the law, for the person he was talking to, this is like the worst person he could have named who could have come up, who did end up being the hero. Good Samaritan has such a positive quality to us now 
Um, it would have been a very, very negative term, a very negative person for him to make the good guy. So this is, a, this is not a good person in the mind of the person who is hearing this story. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so, finishing the story, verse 36, Jesus asked this dude this. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He could not even bring himself to say the word Samaritan to describe him. You know, that, 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 that last one, I guess. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So it's a really powerful story that Jesus tells to really kind of expose, again, a lot of biases that we have, a lot of issues that we have, a lot of, a lot of uh, wrong priorities that he has. And he exposed them very deeply into this expert in the law who was trying to test him. But I think, again, I, I passionately believe that there is something here for all of us because the more we understand the complexity of the story that Jesus is telling, the more I think that we, we will realize just... How, how, how much further we have to go to really continue to, to become the men and women that God has called us to be. So there's three things that I just want to make sure that we notice uh, out of this story. And the first one is this, that there is more to being godly than being religious. Now, there are some times that, that, that um, you know, that, that pastors, Christians can kind of dog the word religion or dog the word religious they say, man, I'm not, I'm not about religion. I don't have religion. I have a relationship with God through Jesus. I'm not about being religious. I'm not religious. I'm, I'm spiritual. And so we, we dog this word religious. I'm not trying to dog the word religious because everybody who can hear me right now, whether you intended to or not, are being religious. You are at a place of worship you were, you, were, or are, you were worshiping, and um, you were at least being around worship, and now you are hearing an ordained minister read and teach from a religious text, right? You are being religious, and I encourage that. I encourage um, uh, weekly, daily, all throughout the day, acts of religion, where you are showing religious devotion to God and doing religious things. So I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to dog it. But I want to make sure that we do understand that there is way more to being the men and women that God has called us to be than simply being religious. Because the, the, these, this, this Levite and this priest that, that walked past, man, they were being incredibly religious. They were, by a lot of definitions, they were doing the right thing. They had priestly duties that they had to perform. And in order to perform them... They had to keep themselves ceremonially clean and to touch a dead body or a potentially dead body or someone else's blood would have made them unable to do the religious things that God specifically had called them to do. And so in that moment, they made a decision, but the decision was wrong because they made this decision to say that, well, well... 
I, 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 I've determined that to be what God's called me to be is, 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 is following this narrow group, this narrow set of rules. And in order for me to be who God has called me to be, I need to follow these strict religious rules. And part of these religious rules keep me from identifying with someone who finds themselves in this situation. Now, our religious rules, such as they are, do not prohibit us from helping someone who is bloody or injured. But I, 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 do, I do believe that there are some things that um, where, we've, where we've taken religious rules and we've, and we've put them above the primary things that God has called us to which is to love God with everything that we are and to love people well, to love people the way that the Samaritan did in this story. And there's an interesting thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 where he's talking about these great acts of spirituality and religion, of being able to prophesy and speak in other languages and do these great things for God. He says, if you do all those things, you can you have all these things, you can do all the great things in the world, you can... You can come to the worship service and you can, you can sing beautifully and you can, you can hear God's word. You can teach God's word. You can do all these things. But if you do not have love, he describes it as nothing. He describes it as empty, pointless noise. And I think that is the point that Jesus is trying to get to with this guy. It's like you, you can follow all these rules. But if you're following these rules and it is preventing you or keeping you, or you are not demonstrating genuine love and concern for other people, again, it is, it's, just, it's just like randomly banging a cymbal. It's, he says, it's, it's, it's nothing. You gain nothing. Paul just repeats this over and over again. And so we need to understand that, because then once we kind of understand that level, then we can kind of get to this next place, which is the second idea. Not only is there more to being godly than being religious... Being a neighbor means loving others. Now, you'll notice the scare quotes. If you are looking at the text, uh, the thing they say, I put the scare quotes around the word others. You take the square, scare quotes out, hey, be, being a neighbor means loving others. You're like, yeah, of course, that's what it already said. You know, loving others said you've got to love other people. But if you put others in quotes, now it's like, well, you're trying to make a point. And if it was 2010 right now, if this was 2010, this was 10 years ago, I would make a joke about the TV show Lost, and it would kill, and you would all laugh, because we would all connect with that. That was 10 years ago. Some of you, may, it's been so long you've forgotten. Some of you probably haven't seen it. So if you do remember the show Lost, just think right now. He just made an epic joke about the TV show Lost and the group called The Others, and it was a great moment that we all got to share. We don't, we don't get, we don't, we don't, okay. So why, why put The Others in scare quotes? Because I think that the point, the big point that Jesus is trying to make here by using a Samaritan, he could have used anybody. He said, and then a third man who wasn't particularly, you know, who was just a regular dude, you know, just uh, comes up, you know, he used Samaritan on purpose. He used Samaritan on purpose because of the animosity that Samaritans and Jews had with each other. I was researching this this week, and I've been told one thing about what the animosity was about. Turns out it's infinitely more complicated than that, that there's about seven or eight different stories out there about the reason why there was such great animosity between these two groups. 
a lot of it comes from, at least on the, on, on the Jewish side, a lot of it comes from whether or not this is 100% true or not, the belief that what they were were, they, were, they, 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 weren't, they didn't worship the way that they were supposed to. They both kind of had common Jewish heritage, but rather than worshiping in the temple, they chose to worship in, at, at this mountain where God had appeared in the Old Testament and chose to do that. But in addition to that, they, they kind of believed them to be these... Um, Let's just say racial, and again, just this is, it, it, I'm going to say it in an offensive way because it's kind of offensive. them is kind of half-breeds, like this, this, this mixed race. They weren't completely Jewish because a lot of them had intermarried with this conquering army that had come and taken over Israel during this one time and planted themselves in the land, and some of the Jewish people intermarried with this, this conquering outsider evil group. Well, you're living with them while some of them had been exiled and had to live as prisoners and they come back and turns out this group of people had just kind of been living in this really obviously very friendly way with these people who had taken over their nation and so there was political controversy religious controversy racial controversy they really really didn't like each other so anytime you see the word samaritan um, when we're describing Samaritans in one of the Gospels or Acts, I mean, you just need to understand that there's a lot of power behind that word. This is kind of, as far as they're concerned, the worst kind of people. And Jesus uses that person as the hero of the story to the person who would have most assuredly seen them as the villain. And so when I say loving others, what I mean is, is that what we have tended to do is we tend to divide people into groups. There's us, and then there's them. We're us, and they are them. At the point in which there's not just us. There's only, there's only us. There's just people. And they're all people created in the image of God, and God loves all of us, and God has called us to love everyone, all of them. And, and, and as soon as there's a group that's like, well... I know that God wants us to love people, but not them. I, I, find it, I, I find it easy to love people except them, those people. Once you start describing a group that way, those are exactly the people that, according to this passage... That's what it really means to love like a neighbor and to love your neighbor. It's to go out of your way to love someone that in your mind or at least in maybe in your group, your group has decided is an other. Now over, over history and time, there's been a lot of these different groups. I mean, the easiest one to point to would be things similar to this where in times where one racial group has looked at another racial group and decided that they are a them. You're, you're a them. There is something inferior about you. And you're not as good as us. And so you're them. There are some thems that maybe in a racial group, it's like, well, I don't necessarily know that I like the way that you came into this country. And so you are them. You're not us. In order to be us, you have to have come into a con the country this way, but you came into the country this way, therefore, you're a them. 
and you're not worth what other people are worth. Over time, there's been times where sexuality played into that. There is what the Bible says, um, you know, and I, I mention this anytime we do our, we, we talk about relationships, we talk about sex, you know, there is a clearly defined standard for what God considers to be God-ordained appropriate sexuality. Sex is meant to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And so then what Christians have done then is like, well, okay, well, all the good people are the ones who do that. And anybody who does anything different than that, divorce, premarital sex, homosexuality, anything like that, well, that's, that's bad, and because it's bad, that makes you them. And somehow, because of this thing that you have done, that I think we've decided, not as only just, it's, it's just, it's just, you just need to stay over there. And you're not worthy of God's love, much less my love. Now, as, as, as things continue to get more and more heated, and you're thinking to yourself, what are you talking about getting heated? You're the one saying stuff right now. And um, as things continue to get more and more heated, it would seem to me that one of our uh, uh, most notable divisions right now comes with politics or your social class. Okay, so rich people decide that poor people are poor because of stupid things that they've done and therefore are not worthy of compassion. Poor people have decided that rich people have, can only have achieved their wealth through unscrupulous means and have hurt people and have done damage to me and do not deserve what they have and therefore are evil and unworthy of love. And so you add politics to it. It's not just simply anymore that I believe X about politics. Well, you believe X, I believe Y. It's like, well, I don't think that that's exactly true, and here's why. It's like, well, here's why I don't think about you. It's like, well, okay, well, I guess we disagree. When's the last time you had a polit political conversation like that? I guess we'll just agree to disagree. Handshake, hug, and... and, and, and. No, no, not only are you wrong, you're evil... And not only that, there's a good chance that I believe that your opinion should not be allowed to exist. And you are now them. And the more them I can make you, the, the, the more isolated I can make you, the better. Because you need to know how unworthy you are. And right now, you are 100% convinced that I'm talking about the people that disagree with you. Because here's the interesting thing. The people that you've othered, the people that you've othered, right? They kind of deserve it. Well, they deserve it. And you've got good reasons. You've got good reasons why that group of people does not deserve compassion. I mean, they're rich, I mean, they're, they're, they're struggling with homelessness, but I mean, they're doing drugs. They got what they deserved. I mean, right? I mean, do you, do you know what they believe about guns? Do you know what they believe about abortion? Do you know what they believe about... Did you know they voted for Trump? And, and, and you feel like all you have to do is say that. 
And, 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 and once you say that, you're like, that the, the whole room's going to agree and go, oh, well, yeah, that, that, that person's barely human. And it is specifically those people, whoever that group is for you, is the person in this story that Jesus is calling you to love, but not just simply to love. Being a neighbor means loving them, but also going the extra mile. Now, if we talk about racial things for just a second, just giving it this is an example of what we mean by going the extra mile. Right now, there's just a lot of us that are just like, well, um, I, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm trying to love my neighbor and on these racial things, but I'm, I'm, I'm not being racist. I'm not going to be a racist. Which don't ever hear me say that that's not a great thing. You not being a racist is a great thing. Beautiful. Continue to not be a racist. But Jesus, what Jesus is describing here is going the extra mile for somebody. And this is a little overstated, so forgive me, but I tend to do this from time to time. Um, not being racist, a little bit like, well, I walked, like the, 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 the Levite and the priest, they walked past him. He's like, I didn't kick him. I didn't make this situation worse. I, 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 didn't, I didn't do anything bad to him. I'm absolved. I didn't rob him. Those people robbed him. I didn't rob him. I didn't hurt him. I didn't kick him. All I did was not help somebody who is hurting. I'm just saying that there's another level of love that we can show to people beyond just not causing more problems. Because there are people who are lying on the side of the road, metaphorically and literally, and they are hurting. But what we want to do is we kind of say, well, we're not going to walk past them, but here, I'm going I'm I want to help you, but I've got a few questions to ask you first. Can you tell me how you got in this situation? It appears that you were robbed, but maybe you were one of the robbers. Were you one of the robbers? Do you have a drug habit? What's your religion? Are you living with your girlfriend? And like, you get through all this list of questions to find out if this person who is hurting and broken, whether or not they're worthy of the help, worthy of the love. Or maybe you analyze the situation, you think, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really not as bad as you think it is. You could actually just kind of get up and walk. In this situation, this is obviously not true, Jesus' story. But there's sometimes we see that. And maybe it's true, but the person is hurting. And God has called us to a person that is hurting no matter who they are, to love them and love them just a little bit more than maybe what we're inclined to. There was part of me that was like, I was like, I wanted to just kind of narrow it in to kind of one specific type of person that we needed to focus on. But I really, again, I just, as diverse a group as we are, just from a lot of different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different backgrounds, there's a lot of different groups of others that are in our hearts and minds right now. And I just encourage you to ask God to give you an opportunity to love them well. Well, I don't know how to. Well, sometimes it's obvious if they're laying bloody half dead on the side of the road. Maybe if it's not as obvious, maybe all of you just ask. 
Maybe just learn to listen. To engage people in loving, empathetic conversations about who they are and where they come from and what's going on with them. And maybe to ask them to describe the hurt that they're going through. And to just to show a little bit extra compassion and love for some people. I've said this so many times in so many different ways. I, I feel repetitive, but I'm just, I think I'm just going to keep saying it forever. What this world does not need, it does not need more division, does not need more hate, does not need any more of your righteous anger. This world needs peace, and it needs love, and it needs the hope of peace and reconciliation and justice that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so what can we do this week to show the love and compassion of Jesus Christ to the people who need it and the people you are least likely to want to give it to? Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this story. God, I thank you for how it hurts me every time I read it. God, how it just kind of gets me. And I just realize just all the, the darkness in my own heart. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for just helping me get rid of it. And God, I pray that you would do that today. I, got, I pray that no one would walk away here thinking that I said something controversial. There's nothing controversial about showing love to somebody who needs it. There's nothing controversial about breaking down this idea of not othering people. Whether their other is based on how they were born or decisions they made, God, it does not matter. You have called us to love the people who need it the most. And God, I pray that you would break down all the obstacles and the barriers that we have in our heart and mind right now to really wanting to do this. And that, God, you would help the people in this room and the people who are watching really be agents of real hope, peace, and love to this world. And we thank you for your son Jesus and his death on the cross and the reconciliation that that gives all of us with you that makes all of this possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.